in this episode, we are going to cover tactics. I'm going to talk to you about the tactics and strategies that the radical left is doing to enact whatever cultural revolution, whatever you want to call this, Marxist overthrow of the government, uh, American Revolution 2.0, except this isn't really anything like the first one, of course, but uh, I'm going to cover some really interesting stuff, going to go over some articles, point you to some videos. Um, Get ready, guys. Get ready. You can follow me on my website, tstutch.com, YouTube, Taylor Space Stutch, Facebook and Instagram, Taylor Radio, and uh, Twitter, tstutch1. Thank you and enjoy. Hello, and we are continuing coverage of the new American Cultural Revolution. The American Cultural Revolution. That is what you are seeing on your TV screens. That is what you are watching on social media. That is what you are hearing your friends talk about when they read the news and see what's being posted. The American Cultural Revolution. So I was listening to, I got um, probably about halfway through the interview between Joe Rogan and uh, Brett Weinstein. So it's really good. If you don't know who Brett Weinstein is, he is a uh, professor um, of, I think it's biology or evolutionary biology. He used to work at a university. Uh, called Evergreen University, and I believe it was Washington State. And uh, and I think it was 2017 or the end of 2016, he was, um, at the end of 2016, he was run out of his job as professor uh, because I actually don't remember exactly what sparked it, but basically he was accused of being racist and he, he was accused of being racist, and there was a mob of P. Oh, um, I know what it was now. Uh, back at that point, I think it was the end of 2016, uh, they were trying to have a, a national, or not a national, but a walkout day at the university where only uh, where white people were not allowed to be on campus. It was only supposed to be black people on campus. And he refused, Brett Weinstein refused to engage in this. Keep in mind, Brett Weinstein is a very liberal professor. I have been listening to him for three years. And when I say listening to, I mean like I've been listening to interviews. I followed his story when this first began. Um, I've been following this for a long time. He is a very liberal guy in the traditional sense, as in he's for um, you know what we look at as uh, uh, progressive values. You know he wants to see um, you know equal treatment of a lot of different groups. Um, So in no way is he looked at as a – what people would look at as white nationalist or whatever. Now, um, actually I should should rephrase that. Uh, Many people who aren't liberal are for equality like um, you know myself and many others and I've never been progressive. But anyway, he's been on the more left side of the spectrum his entire life. And so he was really surprised when this left-wing mob at Evergreen University was coming after him. 
he he didn't know how to deal with it uh, at the time, but he did stand up to the mob and said, "No, I'm not going to uh, stand. I'm not going to take a knee, even though it wasn't a knee at that point. It was he was supposed to leave the class." When this happened, when this event happened, everybody was saying that this was just something to worry about on college campuses. Everybody kept saying that. Um, this is only a college campus phenomenon. That's what this is. You don't need to worry about it outside of the, the larger context of society. Now, what's interesting is that happened, I think it was uh, late 2016, early 2017. What's interesting about that is that a year or two before that, in 2015, I think it was at Harvard or Yale, one of those very elitist schools, they had a huge outbreak during a Halloween costume, uh, during a Halloween time, uh, because they were saying it's cultural appropriation to dress as you know, another race or ethnicity or whatever, and the students were going ape. They were going absolutely insane over this situation. And once again, at the time, people were saying, oh, this is just college goofiness college goofiness is all it is meanwhile that whole time people have been warning that what we are seeing arise out of the campuses is not going to stay on the college campuses there have been warnings for years and nobody has listened and now we find ourselves on the precipice of a cultural revolution of a civil major civil conflict that's where we see ourselves now it's extremely unfortunate um that this is where we're at anyway i'm listening to this uh interview with uh with brett weinstein and joe rogan and brett weinstein basically said look when this happened at evergreen I was telling people, like, this is a serious problem, and everyone – he said that he's received lots of emails and messages very recently from colleagues in academia that are saying, hey, we're sorry. We, uh, we, we were wrong. We made a mistake. This is out of control. Uh, we didn't realize it would spill into the larger population. And what's interesting to me is that Brett Weinstein is saying, hey, um, we have a situation here. If we don't figure out a way to solve this problem, we are going to have a civil, major civil conflict, major civil conflict. And um, that's what Brett Weinstein is warning about. Now, is he a prophet? No, he's not a prophet. But there are uh, predictions that could be made based off of the patterns and where things are headed, right? And it's like, I mean, I've been saying this now. Um, it's been clear, like you can see it happening. You can see it forming because you can see it happening on social media. You can see people being galvanized in their positions. People are refusing to look, listen to reason. They are refusing to think about the consequences of their actions. People are refusing to think about solutions and act on them to make them a reality. We're out of that world now. 
we're no longer in a we are no longer in the reality that we were in five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago. We are in a whole new place. It looks like reality is upside down. The CEO of Chick-fil-A just came out and said that white people need to shine the shoes of black people. What is that all about? What world are we living in? This is what Jordan Peterson warned about years ago, about white privilege, the myth of white privilege. He warned about what happens when you talk about white privilege. It starts with white privilege. Right. What happens is, is you you take aim at a certain group and you say everybody, regardless of individual action, everybody born into this group is guilty. After you dehumanize that group, just like the Jews were dehumanized, after you dehumanize that group, you act against that group. But it doesn't stop there. The way that Jordan Peterson described it. And the way that uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn described it in his book, The Gulag Archipelago, which you should go out and read. It's about the Bolshevik Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. How at first they went after – I don't remember exactly how they started, but they went after certain groups of people. But then they went after collaborators with those groups of people. But then it wasn't just collaborators. It was anyone who had any contact with those groups of people. And it just kept going and going and going. So it's kind of like, uh, it's, it's similar to what we see now, right? First people say, well, it's racist. Then they say, well, first we got to go after the racist. But then what they do is they say, well, all white people are really racist, right? That's the bottom line is they say all white people are racist. So really it's all white people. But then they go... So if white people want to not be a part of the problem, they have to submit, they have to be allies, blah, blah, blah. But then they go, well, that's not good enough either. Well, you know, you have to keep doing this and you have to keep doing that. And so the idea is, is it starts off with just, oh, it's, uh, it's just white people are the problem. But it's not. It doesn't end there. This is what I keep This is what I wish people would understand that people don't understand. Once you go down this path, and I'm no sage Right? And I don't know for sure 100% how this thing plays out, but this is how it looks. What they've done is what the radical left has done is they have tied all of the structures of society to white supremacy. And now they're attacking white people as a collective group. So what they're doing is they go, hey, white people are the problem. So then a lot of people who aren't white, who actually will fall into that category, I'm looking at you, Hispanics. I'm looking at you. There's going to be a lot of Hispanics that are going to get caught up in the anti-white hatred because you look, a lot of Hispanics look just as white as the whitest motherfuckers around from Europe. So, but aside from that, what I want to get into is they start off labeling all white people are bad. White people are the devil. So a lot of people are going to go, well, well, you know, I'm not white. So fuck it. I'm good. So yeah, sure. White people are the devil. Then it starts to escalate. Well, you need to out your white friends. Do you have white friends? You need to stop hanging out with your white friends. So then some people who are not white, who have white friends are going to go, well, come on, that's stupid, right? 
Like, you know, my friend Alex, he's a great guy. I'm not just going to not be his friend. Then they go, no, 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 no. If you don't turn him in for his white crimes of being white, then you're guilty too. Well, okay, so now you're guilty because you're friends with a white guy and you're not trying to kill him, so you're guilty. Okay, but you might say, well, that, for, I'm telling you, this is where it's going to go. This is pr- if we don't stop it, I do believe this is where it goes. And it's not everywhere, right? Like, you know, there's, it's not like this is going to be total mass civil war all over the country. I mean, like, there's going to be spots where this goes on, probably. So um, it starts off, okay, white people. Then it's like, well, if you got friends with white people, then you're just, you're a whitey. If you sympathize with a white person, you are as guilty as the white person. So that's how they're going to get non-white people starting to get roped in. Now you might say, well, well, Taylor, the solution is easy. If that's the, if that's the case, then just don't have white friends. Okay, that's fine. But what if, now hold, here's something funny here. What if you're a quote unquote person of color, but you actually like the rule of law structure of the constitution? For example, what if you're a black guy or a, or a native American who says, well, you know, actually, even though some fucked up shit happened in the past, I actually like the First Amendment because I can say what I want. And it's actually given me the ability to do what I'm doing now. So I like the First Amendment. Let's keep that. Uh, I like the Second Amendment because, you know, I want to be able to defend my family. Like, let's keep that. Um, you know, the judicial system isn't perfect, but overall, the way that it, that it works, um, you know, I like the fact that if somebody attacks me, the police uh, will pick them up and, and bring them to jail and they got to go through a trial. I like that. Okay. Um, I like that, that, you know, the search and seizure laws and, you know, I, I kind of like some of that. So if you're somebody who's a person of quote unquote, a person of color, if you're black or not white, but you like some of the system, well, guess what? You're a collaborator because that's a white supremacist system. You are a collaborator. Do you like science? Do you like the scientific method? Do you think it's cool that cars can run and that we can shoot rockets up into space? Well, that is being labeled as white colonization, right? That's what it's being called. That science is white supremacy. STEM is white supremacy. So if you like those things, you're an accomplice. You are complicit in a white supremacist system. So this is how they're going to start – this is how they're going to really start fucking people up in my opinion. That's what they're going to do is they – because, I mean, we're seeing it play out now. We're seeing it play out right now in real time, right? If you're white, you're the enemy. Well, it's going to eventually be like, well, if you agree – you know, they already call out black people that, that are conservative or already considered white. Not by white people, by other people that are black that don't like them. So that's how they do that, right? So first you agree with a white person, you're like a white person. Well, maybe you don't agree with a white person, you got white friends, then you're a white person. Okay, well, you like any part of a system that is considered white, you are now an accomplice and you can't be, you can never be cleansed of your guilt. You can never be cleansed of your sin. You will be taken out, you will be destroyed. This is what they're going to do. You watch. 
Now, I live in a part of the country where the economy is getting back to work. Uh, it's in the South. People generally have a little bit more respect. Um, it's a very diverse area, and actually people seem to get along pretty well. So I'm not seeing this here. But you're seeing it happen in spots around the country, especially with riots and, and the protests and stuff. Um, you're going to probably see more of it. But this is how they get you. And this is what happened in Mao's China. This is what happened in the Soviet Union before it became the Soviet Union. Alexander Solzhenitsyn spits it out. First, like I said, I can't remember the ethnic group they came after. But first they started off going one after one ethnic group. But sure enough, as the revolution and the madness continued, what happened was it started off attacking one group. However, it started expanding to all groups that could somehow be associated to the point where basically everybody was being taken out of their homes and being shipped off to the gulags. Everybody was. It didn't matter who you were. And this is why I talk about virtue signaling. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you put a black square on Instagram. It doesn't matter if you go out and you protest and you say black lives matter. It doesn't matter if you are right next to a black man going hand in hand down the street saying um, black lives matter. If you are white, if you are any way respect any part of the system, you will be considered the enemy. If this continues, if this continues, the radical left will destroy you. And you know what's interesting is they will be happy to do it. They want to do it. The radical left wingers, they want to kill you and they want to kill your children. And I wish that wasn't the case. I really do. But I mean, that's what I see. I don't see them killing you and your children right now, but they are inciting that violence. They're trying to say that if you're white, you're expendable, dude. Or if you have sympathy for anything white, you're going to be expendable. That's what's that, and it's very interesting that this is happening at a time where white people aren't even the minority, but it shows you how powerful, how powerful the media is, how the media has destroyed. We have been brainwashed. Our nation is in peril. How did we get this way? Now, let's go ahead and switch gears. So, by the way, I'm recording this on a different day, this part of this, this segment right here. Um, I want to discuss a piece or some information that I have seen recently about the, the revolution that's happening in the United States. So, in the last segment, you know, I talked about kind of what's happening and a possible progression, right? So, we're likely to see... Um, as this progresses and the system is being attacked, we're likely to see more and more people identify um, white people as the only solution to, the, to ending the problem. Um, they'll probably have a final solution of some type. And anyone who identifies with the system will be taken out, will have to be taken out. Um, anyone who identifies with friends who like the system will be taken out. And this seems aggressive. 
right? One more thing before I go into some more information here is there is a, a video that I shared by Anomaly. Uh, he is a uh, hip-hop guy on – he's not just a hip-hop guy. He's a cultural commentator, uh, hip-hop artist. Uh, he does a lot of things online. I think he also has a – yeah, he does a lot of stuff online. He's very active, got a big Twitter following. And he posted a video from I believe it was the 50s maybe. And he talked about how the communists had a basically a handbook written in the 19 late 1920s. I believe it was 1928 according to the video. And in the video, the uh, person who is talking describes the tactics that will be used by the communists in order to um, in order to destroy the United States, in order to overthrow the United States. And he talked about how um, you know they would have to demoralize the population, similar to what we see now. Right, like demoralize the population. He talked about how there will have to be an aggressive, uh, aggressive offensive in the streets and the cities. Um, he described how the suburbs are the suburbs. The middle class is a very large, you know, one reason why the United States has been fairly peaceful. A lot of people attribute that to the not just you know, our system, but also what it has produced, which is a fairly large middle class. You know, a lot of people might not be able to get rich, but a lot of people can get into the middle class, which is you got a little house, uh, you got a car, a couple cars, got a family. That's what a lot of people want. And in the United States, it, that is much more attainable than in other parts of the world. Well, in this video, the um, I don't know who he is, but he talks about how the communist tactics strategy, if you will, is to uh, take advantage of the large middle class. The large middle class is not going to fight. The large middle class is probably going to hide in their suburban homes So the and allow the uh, rioters or the uh, revolutionaries to overthrow the system in the urban areas. Then the revolutionaries can go – um, basically, he talked about how uh, the cities across the United States will burn, um, like there will have to be revolutionary activities throughout the cities, throughout the country, um, and it will have to go on for a long time. They'll have to burn things down, and they'll have to go after infrastructure. So right now, and I actually think after hearing that, it made me realize that that's probably what's going to happen. Um, after we see, you know, right now we're seeing big cultural things be destroyed and taken down. And I know a lot of people don't think this is a big deal, but it is a really big deal. Now, uh, I've, my position is, is that none of these should be taken down the way they're being taken down. None of them. Um, I am totally okay with people getting together, using the process, our systems, in order to discuss and debate why some of these statues are there. Right. In my opinion, there needs there that needs to be a part of the discussion. Right. Like what when was the statue put up? Why were some of these monuments put up? Where were they put up? What do they stand for? And what kind of history can we inform people about them? Not just, oh look, there's a, a picture of or you know, this guy had a slave back, you know, four hundred years ago, take him down. Right? Because that was the way of the world back then, especially with the wealthy individuals that were running society. And I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's how it is. Get the fuck over it. Now, um, after they take down the cultural monuments, which like 
basically, you know, this is important. Remember, think about it this way. If you are somebody who believes that taking down statues and monuments isn't a big deal, which many of us fall into, think about why they're taking them down. If the statues and monuments are not important, then why are they being taken down? Why are they being taken down? That's an important question to ask. If, they're, if it's not a big deal, then why take them down? Huh? If it really doesn't matter, then who cares? But the radical leftists know they matter. It's about demoralizing. It's about making people feel bad about their heritage. It's about getting people used to destroying their past and starting over. So... I want to talk a little bit about a defector, a Russian KGB defector. Um, his name is Yuri Bez, Bezmenov, and he described a process as a great – he described um, – there's an article on BigThink.com, and it says, 34 years ago, a KGB defector chillingly predicted modern America. A disturbing interview given by a KGB defector in 1984 describes America of today and outlines four stages of mass brainwashing used by the KGB. Bezmenov Bezmenov described this process as a great brainwashing, which has four basic stages. The first stage is is called demoralization, which takes from 15 to 20 years to achieve. According to the former KGB agent, that is the minimum number of years it takes to re-educate one generation of students that is normally exposed to the ideology of its country. For anyone who is still wondering, the Mueller report makes it clear. Okay, whatever. Um, He has both know-how and intelligence to carry out very far-sighted and ingenious operations. We don't know his end game. Neither do we know how much of his KGB training he still employs, blah, blah, blah. So in the the 1984... In 1984, Bezmenov gave an interview to G. Edward Griffin, from which much can be learned today. His most chilling point was that there's a long-term plan put in play by Russia to defeat America through psychological warfare and demoralization. It's a long game that takes decades to achieve, but it may already be bearing fruit. Bezmenov made the point that the work of the KGB mainly does not involve espionage. Despite what our popular culture may tell us, most of the work, 85% of it, was a slow process which we call ideological subversion, active measures, or psychological warfare. What does that mean? Besmanov explained that the most striking thing about ideological subversion is that it happens in, in the open as a legitimate process. You can see it with your own eyes, he said. The American media would be able to see it if it just focused on it. Here's how he further defined ideological subversion. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of an abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interest of defending themselves, their families, community, and their country. Now, doesn't that sound like the United States of America? Let me repeat that. What it mean, basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interest of defending themselves, their families, their, co- their community, and their country. This is what we've been seeing in the United States for a while. This is what people like Michael Savage, 
um, you know, despite you don't, it's absurd. You don't have to agree with everything anyone says. But he was on top of this when I was a kid, probably Rush Limbaugh as well, even though I don't listen to him, uh, because it's too political. It's not cultural enough at times. The political stuff gets, you know, I'm not, uh, it pisses me off, but I think, um, you know, the cultural stuff is where it's really happening. You know, uh, what I think Breitbart used to say is uh, politics is downstream from culture. So what's what we're seeing here in the United States when I was a kid and now uh, for, let's talk about immigration. Immigration is a great way to talk about it. So the perception of reality has been totally changed for Americans. Americans have been um, lulled into a sense of complacency, of comfort and abundance. And with that comfort and abundance, uh, people have been basically brainwashed from believing in a world of uh, rough power struggles where the United States must be strong in order to maintain not only its position in the world, but it must be strong for its citizens to maintain their positions in their own country, right? So people have become very complacent. And there has been active ideological subversion in schools, right, towards radical far left-wing agendas. Uh, A big one is immigration. So you might wonder, well, how is immigration the thing? Now, I am somebody who is not against immigration in in all senses, definitely not, okay? And in fact, had we had more restrictive immigration over in the past, say over the past 15, 20, 30, actually, if we had more restrictive immigration over the past 40 years, then we wouldn't have any issues with immigration now. Like you could have a continuous stream of immigrants as long as you never had huge massive waves of illegals coming in with amnesty and all kinds of stuff like that. Allowing a constant stream of small amounts of workers and refugees and things wouldn't be an issue. However, the American population has been psychologically brainwashed into believing that allowing mass millions and millions and millions of undocumented immigrants from all over the world to come into the country is a, um, is a great act of selflessness, when in reality it's a great act of suicide. And it's obvious. If you disagree with me, just think about it this way. Any country has to have borders. Every country, no matter where you go, has to have borders. Otherwise, how do you protect any community within that nation? Right? You, yeah, of course you want to help out people that need help. But you cannot help out the most vulnerable when you are letting in the worst. And that's what we do here in the United States. We've let in everybody. We've let in so many people for so many years that when people are like, well, what about the refugees? It's like, yes, I get it. Like, you know, yes. It's like, for example, you know, if you go into a country and fuck it up, um, like we have done in some instances, I understand how there's going to be some refugees that you might say, hey, these are good guys, take them back. But in order to allow that to happen, you can't have people caravanning from South America all the way up to the United States with the explicit goal of overturning the United States government. And that is the situation that we have now. We have a situation now where the United States is very heavily divided. And the fact that we have so many ethnic, um, ethnic boundaries in this country is not going to help the situation. 
Now, um, people have been led to believe that mass unfettered immigration is good for the country. We are seeing now how that's dangerous. Now, of course, right now we see the biggest lines are between white Americans and black Americans. But when you see people at these protests waving Mexican flags and, and else in you know, uh, Salvadorian flags and things like that, you don't think that that has an effect on the country? When we have massive amounts of people that come into the country that never learn English, that never learn about American history, that are never indoctrinated into an American culture, and I, I'm going to be honest, like that's how you want it to be. Like everything, there's always indoctrination going on everywhere. The question is, what is what in what is the indoctrination that it, what purpose is your indoctrination serving? Is it to main, maintain a strong nation, a strong nation with some values and principles, or is your indoctrination to destroy the nation? Is it to subvert it? So people that come here illegally and lots of even, I'm sure, legal immigrants, some of them, well, I don't know about legal, but, <clears throat> you know, people are not encouraged to be patriotic. In fact, if you put up an American flag, sometimes people look at you grossly as you have this gross nationalism, right? So here's another one. Americans have been brainwashed to believe that unfettered immigration is good, that nationalism is bad, that Christianity is bad. These are basic things that have huge consequences because it's true. Many people in the United States do not feel proud to be Americans. Many do not feel that we should have any kind of limit on immigration. Many do not feel that Christianity is worth preserving culturally. It doesn't mean everyone should have to be a Christian, but culturally, that should be a stronger ethos. It should be somewhat taboo to go out and do a bunch of messed up stuff in the culture, but it's not. It's actually taboo to have self-control. That's why people have so many issues nowadays. It's actually culturally taboo to have self-control. Anyway, um, <clears throat> let's continue with this Bezmenov interview. So he says um, he used examples of the 1960s hippies coming to positions of power in the 80s in the government and business of America. Bezmenov claimed this generation was already contaminated by Marxist-Leninist values, of course. Of course, this claim that many baby boomers are somehow ex espousing KGB-tainted ideas is hard to believe. But Bezmenov's larger point addressed why people who have been gradually demoralized are unable to understand that this happened to them. Uh, referring to such people, Bezmenov said, they are programmed to think and react to certain stimuli in a certain pattern. You cannot change their mind even if you expose them to authentic information. Even if you prove that white is white and black is black, you cannot change this basic perception and the logic of behavior. He goes on, demoralization is a process that is irreversible. Vesmanov actually thought back in 1984 the process of demoralizing America was already completed. It would take another generation and another couple of decades to get the people to think differently and return to their patriotic American values, claimed the agent. In what is perhaps the most striking passage in the interview, here's Besman, how Besmanov described the state of a demoralized person. 
He said, as I mentioned before, exposure to, the, to true information does not matter anymore, said Bezmenov. A person who was demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him, even if I shower him with information, with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him a concentration camp. He will refuse to believe it until he receives a kick in his fan bottom. When a military boot crashes his balls, then he will understand. But not before that. That's the tragedy of the situation of demoralization. That is exactly what is happening in the United States. Exactly. So in the United States, it, is, it, is be, it has become a um, – nobody is willing to look at the facts. So I have – anytime I have a conversation with somebody about immigration, this is what I, I, I talk about. I'm like, OK, so you admit that a country has to have some kind of boundaries, has to have some kind of borders. Most people will concede to that, but it's very difficult to move the conversation in any other way meaningfully. Most people just don't want to think about it. Um, it's also – you see this with Trump derangement syndrome. People believe that Trump is literally Hitler. Now, I voted for Trump. I have been very disappointed with him in some ways and not disappointed with him in other ways. I did not like Obama. I did not like Hillary. I did not think any of them was the devil incarnate, but maybe I should. But regardless, the point is is that no matter what Trump does, the radical left wing has successfully persuaded a large group of people in the United States that he is a fascist dictator even though he obeys the laws of government so much so that he can't even get his executive orders to work half the time. There was a recent executive order that the Supreme Court, I believe, just stomped out where he's not allowed to end the DACA program, which was a, an executive order by President Obama. And so if he's this fascist dictator, why didn't he just stop that? If he's a fascist dictator, why didn't he mandate lockdowns of the United States unilaterally? If he's a fascist dictator, why didn't he unilaterally open the United States after he wanted to open up the economy? Simply because he's not a fascist dictator. That's not how the situation works. But you cannot, you cannot talk truth to these people. You cannot tell these people anything about the truth because they will not listen. And in fact, that's what's going on with the racism agenda in the United States. Why, there are people across this nation are so obsessed and demoralized. They're so demoralized and they're so obsessed with the racist boogeyman in the United States that they are willing to submit themselves to a left-wing Marxist ideology which will destroy them. If Marxism fully takes hold in the United States and the racists take hold of the United States totally – then the destruction that we will see is nothing that anyone in my generation has ever encountered. And it will be extremely rough and it will be violent. But nobody will realize until it is too late. And everybody will be pushing the quote-unquote anti-racism agenda until the anti-racists come for them because of their race. Then they will see. But it will be too late then. That's what's happening right now is the people that are looking for racial justice, they say they're looking for racial justice. They're not. I've already said so before in previous podcasts. They want revenge. 
there is a subgroup of ethnic of et- people of different ethnicities in the United States that want revenge on white people. There's another group of people that just want to overthrow the government, and they know that if they can get enough white people out of power in government and business and things like that, white men, they know that they'll be able to take control and move things towards a radical left-wing direction. And it's not because those men are white that they necessarily hold more conservative views, but it's just because those people are from a different time, a different era. And now, if they want to persuade and change the public, they've got to bring in new people under the guise of anti-racism. Anyway, that's all I got for today. Remember, the United States, we're in a very dangerous period, and I think we have to figure out how to act actively against this. We need a counter-revolution now. Anyway, um, you can follow me on my website, tstuch.com, T-S-T-U-C-H.com, Twitter, tstuch1, Facebook and Instagram, Taylor Radio, um, YouTube, Taylor Space Stutch. Thank you.